Hey everybody, I'm Maggie. I'm Amber. And this is Crime Country. Today we are in Maryland. Maryland is the 42nd largest state and the 19th most populous. Even though Maryland is one of the smallest states, it has varying climates and topographical features, which have earned it the moniker America in Miniature. Huh. Yeah. America in Miniature. Has little, I like miniature stuff. No, and it has a little bit of everything. So it's this tiny little weird shaped state, but it's got mountains and valleys and all the other stuff, apparently. Um, oh, we were almost going to move to Maryland, actually. Oh, really? For Aaron's job? Yeah. Well, it was when we first met. He was like, so, you want to go to Maryland or Utah? And I was like, well, preferably Utah because it's closer to Colorado. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we ended up in Utah instead of Maryland. That's so crazy. Yeah. Baltimore has a long history as a major seaport, and Maryland is the birthplace to the U.S. National Anthem. I didn't know that. Me neither. Hmm. Uh, If you visit Maryland, you could visit Chesapeake Bay or the National Aquarium or several battle sites of the Civil War, including Antietam. 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 I always thought it would be kind of interesting to do, uh, like, metal detecting at old war grounds and see if you could find, like, I don't know, coins or bullets or wallets. I don't know. Yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, Some weird laws in Maryland include a woman cannot go through her sleeping husband's pockets. Alright. I mean, I guess I don't know why she would necessarily need to. Stealing his money. (laughs) Uh, Fortune telling is illegal in Baltimore. First cousins are allowed to get married. Isn't that also okay in some other state? Um, well, in Utah, it's legal if you're both over the age of, like, 50 and don't intend to have children. So I'm sure there's other states where it's still legal also. Um, it's illegal to curse while driving. Oh, man. I would definitely need to keep my windows up. Yeah, that's the thing, especially while other drivers are in earshot. Um, but I'm sure everyone breaks that law. (laughs) Yeah, I would a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, you cannot eat while swimming in the ocean. Alright, I mean, you're not supposed to eat and swim at the same time anyways? Yeah, it's bad for your stomach. You could get cramps. Um, <laughs> and lastly, it's illegal to take a lion to the movies. A lion? Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> okay. I mean, what are you gonna do? Cage that bad boy up and drag him in? Put him on a leash. It's fine. <laughs> uh, so kind of a short intro for Maryland Sorry Maryland It seems like a really pretty state though Yeah And there's crime there <laughs> Dun 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 <laughs> Alright so we'll get into it Alright So I'm gonna have kind of like a Mod podge of, of Stories this week Because Uh I was getting banned from the Baltimore Sun unless I wanted to pay for a membership. So I couldn't use the articles and I couldn't find any information. And so it's going to be a modge podge of of stuff. I ran into that same problem. This should be a good one. But I found the one big article I used from the Baltimore Sun posted elsewhere. So (laughs) I found a workaround. Yeah, I... 
was also digging and digging and digging for this some audio that I could never find. So I wasted a lot of time doing that also. So anyways, I'm going to tell you guys about a couple of things this week. We're going to start with um, the murder of Laura Crockett. And I don't know how this Muscolino. Um, Is that her so, third name? Was that all one name? Laura Crockett Mussolino? Yeah. Well, her, her name's just like Laura Crockett. I think that's, I don't know if she ever, no, Laura Crockett Mussolino. So I think Crockett was like her maiden name, but she hyphenated and had her husband's last name after. Okay. So she was 48, I think, when this happened. And then her husband was lower 50s. I think he was like 53, 54 when this this all went down. So this story kind of, well, obviously not kind of, it does suck. (laughs) Especially because like it didn't have to go down the way it did. Like much like many of the stories that we tell, they don't have to go down the way they do, but they do. Yeah. Um, So... Basically, it's kind of a a domestic violence thing that is blown out of proportion. And I don't really know if there was domestic violence leading up to this or if a switch just flipped and then it was just game over. Um, Hmm. Because, again, I couldn't find a lot of background. I could just find, like, the details and not much else. Beforehand, okay. Yeah, and so we're we're only back in 2016 when this happened. August 31st of 2016, Laura Crockett Mussolino was gunned down in her own home by her husband. And the worst part is, not the worst part, I always feel bad when I say that when I'm telling a story because I'm like, the worst part, well, but then I say like... something that's like 12 times worse, and then I'm like, Whoops. I mean, just kidding. <laughs> well, it just is like uh, the part that adds insult to injury or like, you know, the part that's just makes it harder to hear. Yeah. But, yeah. I get what I get what you're saying. <laughs> I'm like, I always do that. And then I like think about it after I say it out loud. And I'm like, man, <laughs> I'm kind of a dick. <laughs> the worst part was that she didn't even have her shoes on. <laughs> no, the worst part is that she died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... When this happens, all three of their daughters are in the home. Um, so Yeah, that's pretty terrible. Yeah, freaking awful. So I guess earlier that day on August 31st, they were out doing whatever they were doing, going about their day. And on that day, her husband, Ricardo Mussolino, found out that Miss Laura Crockett was having an affair with someone and uh-uh. her messages on like Facebook or something. Laura, Laura, Laura. Yeah. So she so shouldn't yeah. have been messing around. No, she didn't deserve to die. But no, not at all. But that makes me think maybe there wasn't domestic violence before this point and he just snapped. Yeah, that's where I'm leaning towards as well because like I don't think there was any other kind of things that led up to it or there was no mention of it really that I could find. Um, But when it was all said and done, it was kind of lumped into the domestic violence. Yeah. It's technically a domestic violence murder. Yeah. so. So he finds out about this affair and that's just like, that's all he needs for 
his world to come crumbling down and everybody else is around him. So they get home later that night and all three of the girls are there. They go upstairs. And before I proceed, I'm going to give you a little more background on Laura, the little that I have. It's not very much, but um, she was an avid ghost hunter. So she was into paranormal activity. And so one thing that helps this case is she had nanny cams in their home to capture signs of paranormal activity. So she had these nanny cams in the house that recorded things, which was amazing for this case because guess what? It got recorded. Mm -hmm. Not the actual like shooting, but like the in and out of the bedroom and the fight leading uh, up to it and stuff and the audio and yeah. So the nanny cam, like I said, recorded this horrific event and it was used in court later and Imagine being the jurors on that jury listening to this audio of her last moments and the last things that happened and then just hearing the gunfire and then just being like, oh, shit. No, thank you. I don't want to hear that. Yeah, no, I I could go without. But that's the audio that I was trying to find, honestly. <laughs> I was trying really hard to find it. <laughs> I could go without. And I'm going to have to because I couldn't find it. <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't, but I did try. That was the audio that I'd spent too much time trying to find. That's funny. Um, yeah, so so that is kind of, um that goes into it because they've got this recorded. So on this recording, the last words you hear on from Laura is stop it. Don't point that at me. Stop it, Ricardo. And then she yells for her daughter, Vivian. That's and terrible. then next thing you hear is brief silence and then the gun shoots five times and he hit her four of the five times oh my god yeah so a little overkill but she didn't die immediately so he shoots five times hits her four or five times and then after the gunshot and the commotion the camp the nanny cam sees him leaving the room quickly and he goes downstairs and exits the house and he just like pieces out with his three daughters in the house. He just leaves them. To find and their mom? Do you know how old they are? So one of them at the time of like the court hearing, so like two years when he gets sentenced is like 16. So I think the oldest was like 14 and then the there was two younger than that. That's terrible. Yeah, so he does the deed, he leaves the house, and then the deputies show up at their house at 11.38 p.m. because they got a report of a shooting. And so at that point, I'm pretty sure that Ricardo was not there. It was just the girls and the deputies found Laura. So I hope the girls didn't. I hope they just hid when they heard the gunshots and just didn't come out. Oh, God, I hope so. I think, I, I don't think any of them saw her. Or found her um, because there was no mention of that. And I'm sure that would have been definitely mentioned in one of the articles that I found. Man, that's awful. Hopefully they didn't. I don't think they did, but the deputies get there and they find her and she's still kind of alive. So they do first aid and then they get her taken to John Hopkins Bayview Medical Center. 
but unfortunately, due to the severity of her injuries, she ends up passing away when she's at the, the medical center. She doesn't make it through. She succumbs to her wounds, her four gunshot wounds. That's too bad. Um, that sucks because those kids lost both of their parents, you know? Like, yeah. In one go. Right. And it all could have just been like a divorce and a clean break. Yeah. Not even a clean break, just like... A terrible okay. break, but okay. the kids still have their yeah. parents. Yeah. Like, go screw yourself, but um, you're not going to screw me anymore. Bye. <laughs> so, oh, uh, deputies find her, take her away. And then Ricardo wasn't there when that all happened, but he did end up turning himself in later that same that same night. He went down to the police station and turned himself in. So, and again... He left his three juvenile daughters home alone while he just bailed, which is the worst. So obviously, since he turned himself in, he was immediately taken into custody and so on and so forth. And then that's when they got the audio and all the stuff that they needed for the prosecution, you know, all that information. So his defense attorney, when they were going through the trial... Obviously, the prosecution and like Laura's family is like, no, he should get the the like most stringent, the longest sentence. Like, screw this guy. Like, he took my daughter away from me. I shouldn't be burying my kid. Like, she should be burying me because I'm I died of old age or something. I shouldn't be burying my child. And she should be here for her kids. Yeah. So they're like, we want the. We urge you to give him the harshest sentence like whatever you can give him and his defense attorney is like oh well a 50-year sentence would be a life sentence for him because he's 54 at this time so I think that he should get a 15-year sentence because that would satisfy the requirements of justice and that is what sounds fair to me oh my god years what that, yeah. that seems fair. He just murdered his wife in cold blood with her children at home, his children at home, just orphaned basically his three daughters, and then went on the run. Um, but yeah, that that seems fair. Fifteen years. Yeah, fifteen years. The little slap on the wrist. Oh, that was that was bad. You'll get out when you're seventy. Like if no. you serve your whole sentence, and even then, he would be paroled after like eight years, probably. Yeah. Thankfully. That was was not the case. Everyone was like, you're ridiculous. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. So also during the trial, his daughter, Vivian, the one that Laura cried out for, she spoke and gave her victim impact statement. And I thought it was interesting, but I, I guess I understand it. So she expressed that she felt Obviously, like her world was crumbling around her. She lost her mom. And then she also lost her dad because, I mean, he's going to be in jail. So she asked the judge for leniency also because she was like explaining how her dad had this impact on her life. And he wasn't like this was out of character and basically like asking for leniency. So she didn't lose both of her parents and she could still have her father. That that sucks. Like, I get it. You want your dad to be in your life since your mom can't be. And, you know, yeah. he, he just seemed to have lost it. But how yeah. do you not just hate him at that point? 
Like, I don't know. That's terrible. Yeah, I I don't know how she could just forgive, I guess, and just... Well, and she know. probably just misses both of her parents. She just thinks, like, maybe life will be a little normal if I get one of them back eventually. But it's like, who are those kids living with now? What is their life going to be like now? Yeah, so I think they, they got um, put into foster care. Oh, that sucks. So they didn't even go with family. Yeah. It might have been a temporary situation, and maybe they ended up with family, but initially they were with, uh, they got placed in foster care. That sucks. Yeah. So the judge listens to her statement and kind of takes it and does what they do. And they're like, you know, I understand. I'm really sorry for your loss. Like, this is not ideal, but. In reality, like this is what happened, and it's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, thankfully, Ricardo Mussolino did get the maximum sentence. So he got thirty years for second degree murder and twenty years for using a firearm in violent in a violent crime. Um, and it says that he he will serve those sentences consecutively at the Department of Corrections. I always get confused between concurrently and consecutively. Concurrently means at the same time, right? And consecutively, yeah, and consecutively is, one after, is one after the other. I always get them flipped in my head. <laughs> I I was thinking that as well as I read it out loud. I was like, wait, Which so one is, is it 30 years or 50 years? Because, but yeah, consecutively, one after the other, concurrently is together. Um, and second degree murder or uh-huh. manslaughter? Was it murder or manslaughter? murder second degree murder that's good because manslaughter like nothing yeah sometimes so 30 years for second degree murder 20 for using the firearm in a violent crime so obviously when this is read aloud and served ricardo and his defense attorney were obviously less than pleased but uh ricardo's defense was like don't worry we'll appeal and we will win the appeal i on what grounds dummy that video of the crime (laughs) yeah there's no way. Yeah, yeah, no way at all. But they're they're hopeful for that. So we'll see if that ever comes about, but not thinking it will. Yeah. I mean that stuff takes years to even get denied, so Yeah, so he'll be there for the foreseeable future for sure. That's sad for those girls. Yeah, super sad. And then for Laura's family also after this her mother's health declined. So after the family loses Laura, six months later, they also lose their mother because she passed away from a health heart, Broken heart. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. So that's just a bummer all around. So sad. Uh, yeah. So that is the story of Laura Crockett's unfortunate demise and her pos husband that could have not murdered her (laughs) yeah i mean cheating's wrong but she doesn't deserve to die yeah if you have kids with the person like how can you take away your children's parent like that's the person like those little people are who you're supposed to love and protect above anything else and you're breaking their heart you're destroying the world they know you know like i it's yeah I mean, thank God he didn't kill them also and just like the terrible. whole family, but still yeah. none of it is like it, it wasn't necessary at all. I had a dream Spencer cheated on me a couple nights ago. 
Oh, jeez. I, I didn't feel like killing him. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I also have another little small Mod Podge story that I'm going to tell us about. But I'm sad that I didn't spend more time on this one initially because I found this one after I had wasted all my time. <laughs> and so this one, I don't have all the details because I didn't have time to get all of them. So I'm just going to give you like the rough cliff notes. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't not give you the story because it reminded me of my story from a couple weeks ago. So I'm going to tell you briefly about Alexander Kinua. And he was an immigrant from, oh boy, where was he from? Nairobi. Hmm. So he's young at the time of this crime in 2012, or he was born in 1990. So I think this was in 2011, 2012, when this terrible stuff happened that he did. Um, The reason I'm going to get to it. The reason why I wanted to tell this story is because he was suffering from paranoid schizophrenia, but he also had these weirdo beliefs like human sacrifices. And he believed in like a reptilian afterlife or (laughs) reptilian God, like the other lady. I was trying to find the exact wording, but I didn't note it. This will be the third time we've covered somebody who believes in like a reptilian subspecies. Yeah. So because my guy, Nico Jenkins, in like South Dakota or something like that, with the like scars on his face, he like split his tongue to look like a reptile god and he believed that that serpent god was telling him to do things and stuff. And then Sherry Shriner, your lady from a couple weeks ago, and now this guy. Yeah. Maybe so, there's some truth behind it. That's a lot of people. I'm just saying. I mean, it is. And and they have a following. Fucking <laughs> cult. Um, so he believed that he was a prophet with secret powers. And he wrote a manuscript of the history of mankind and talked about a reptilian agenda from outer space. So there are these reptilian aliens from outer space. It's just like Sherry Shriner, your other lady. Yeah. Alien reptiles. When I saw that, I was like, okay, um, (laughs) I don't even have all the details, but I've got to touch on this because this guy's a weirdo. (laughs) Um, So anyways, that's the the reason why I wanted to tell this story. Um, But this guy, he's definitely messed up. I don't know if he's fully insane. Like they, he's, committed to a, a mental institution so he's not even in like prison or jail for things he allegedly did that i'm gonna tell you about well paranoid um, schizophrenia is very real and it's very yeah sad and it, it can make you just believe things that aren't real you know and like hear voices and be convinced that things are happening beyond what the rest of us see so yeah. like i'm okay with people with real severe like things like that being put in a mental hospital instead of prison because they need help they don't need to just be locked up and thrown in a cage to like suffer with their own mental inabilities and not get any help yeah i agree 100 percent. so he is indefinitely committed to a maryland mental institution and 
who knows, there is still a chance he could go free someday if if they deem him not a threat. Hopefully but they don't. Yeah, hopefully not. I don't even know what I he's done. About, <laughs> yeah, especially when I tell you about the stuff that he did. We, we don't want him. We want him to stay where he's at. So he was a college student. He sounds like he was like pretty smart. He just had this mental like breakdown and then just all hell broke loose and started being weird. So he got in a few fights and he beat this guy so badly that he lost his vision. So he beat a man to blind. the point where he went blind. Oh, that's terrible. Um, so, and then he was in, he went to jail for that, but he got bonded out. And while he was on bond from that initial assault, this next awful, terrible act happened. That's sad. Well, because that's like, well, shit, he never should have got bond, apparently. Yeah, no, he never <sighs> should have got bond. Never. So while he's out, his family has this other exchange student from Ghana living with them in their house and he's older he's an older gentleman I think he they said he was 37 oh wow so they had this guy living with them in in their house and then all of a sudden he's like missing for like a week and no one really knows like what happened he just kind of was gone and one day Alexander's brother he sees what he thinks are like body parts in tins in their basement. And so he's like, hey, uh, he calls the police and he's like, um, I think that there's some body parts and some tins in my basement. Well, good um, for him on like not trying to cover for whoever in his family murdered someone. Yeah. Like, can you, can you come check this out? And so sure enough, they did find body part remains and then they found more remains in a dumpster outside a church about a mile away from the house these remains were of the missing Kujo Bonsafo Agi Cody I don't know how to say his name I'm sure I butchered it butchered it um sounded good to me (laughs) but yeah so unfortunately they did find the body parts of of him and so there was no real like say like straight proof that alexander did it but i think when it's all said and done he ends up like saying yeah this is what i did because he also ate his heart and some other organ oh my god doing that and then it was like some blood sacrifice or something. So he definitely is struggling from a mental illness for sure. Yeah. Oh, wow. um, That's terrible. So, yeah. Awful. So anyways, he doesn't get like he's guilty, but not criminally responsible for whatever the case may be because of his mental state. So that is why he is indefinitely in a mental institution that's good. They really? probably couldn't have put him there indefinitely for the first crime anyways, because it yeah. wasn't murder, but man, that sucks. So, yeah, he, I don't know, but that all happened after his brutal attack 
to make a man blind. So he did that. Then he killed a man and ate his organs and disposed of his body. And yeah. That poor man who was just trying to like come to Maryland and learn for a while. Yeah. So that one, like I said, there's all kinds more details on that one, but I just couldn't dig in too much because I wasted all my time, but I really (laughs) was sucked in by the reptilian God that he believed in. (laughs) There's a lot of them. I was like, oh my God, this is the one. I've (laughs) got to tell this story. Um, That's funny. But yeah, so that story also sucks and... (laughs) But it was interesting. And I'm going to definitely read more into it because now I want to know all of the details. And I'll share my link so everybody else can read about it too. Cool. I think we just don't know something about reptilian aliens. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I need to educate myself a little better. Maybe this podcast is going to turn into us trying to convert people to our new reptilian alien church. Yeah, join our cult. We don't call it a cult. If you're in a cult, you don't say cult. Oh. You say yeah. community I'm, or church, not oh, cult. <laughs> I'm bad at this. <laughs> We're working on it. We're going to have an alien reptile god commune for our community and um, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. It'll be a really fun cult. I mean, church. Oh. Don't we don't call it that? I know it's a weird <laughs> adjustment. We're definitely not starting a cult. Not <laughs> nope nope nope. That is not what's happening here. <laughs> um. Okay, my story. So I also have like a little mini story to start, but it's real short because I found this story and I was like, okay, this is the story, but there's no information about it. There was three articles I could find. Two of them were from 1989, and one was from 1994. And that was it. Ugh. Um, and they weren't super detailed. And apparently the lady who did it was going to like write, co-write an autobiography with somebody. But then they backed out and she sued them because they agreed to buy her life story for like $100,000 while she was in prison. And oh. she sued them because they hadn't made the f- initial payments of like $10,000 a month or something that they had promised her and they canceled the book deal, but they were oh. like, she wasn't delivering on her promises. So we just couldn't do it. So nothing ever came of that lawsuit, but I kind of wish that audio autobiography had been written or somebody got some of her life story out of her. So this was Geraldine Parrish and she was apparently a voodoo preacher Yeah, so she grew up Catholic and learned all about the Catholic Church, but then as she got older, she got really into, like, voodoo and that kind of, like, religions that believe in voodoo and stuff. So she reptilian gods? No reptilian gods, but voodoo. (laughs) Um, And then she declared herself as a preacher, so she just started telling people she was a preacher, and she started convincing, she started, like, this scheme to get people she knew to sign up for like really high life insurance policies and make her the single beneficiary and made like the scam. And then she hired two young guys to help her kill these people. So she killed four people and she, I don't know who all the people were. I couldn't even find that. (laughs) She was married eight times. Holy cow. She married four of the guys within uh, 18 months. 
of each other. How do you, how do you even get married and divorced and married and divorced? She wasn't getting divorced. She didn't kill them all, but she didn't divorce like any of them. So she just was like committing bigamy all over the place. She killed four people. I don't know if some of them are husbands or not. And then she tried to kill her niece as well because she had a life insurance policy on her niece, but she didn't die. So her niece got shot twice in the head and they tried slitting her throat and she lived. Oh my God. But that's when Geraldine got caught and went to court and I couldn't find more details. And isn't that the craziest story? Yeah. Like, who were the four people she killed? She got away with it for, like, five years. From 1989? No, that's when she first got arrested. 1994 is when she tried suing the person that she was um, supposed to be writing the book with. But she got away with it for years. Jeez. And uh, she was just kind of, like, rolling in dough from all these different life insurance policies and stuff. But there's no detailed stories. So if anybody really wants to dig into that one and make your own podcast, I will listen. <laughs> Seriously, because that one sounds interesting. And that's like literally all the details I could find. So I thought I found the one and I didn't. It's not my story this week because those are literally all the details I have. (laughs) (laughs) So instead, I'm going to tell you about Joseph Chester Palkazinski. And I basically got all of my information from this really good article in the Baltimore Sun. Um that I couldn't read on the Baltimore Sun because I didn't pay for a subscription. And thankfully I found it elsewhere. And it was written by Linnell Smith. And I'm basically just retelling you her whole article in my own words, mostly. But it's really good. <laughs> I'm excited. So Joseph Palkazinski was born November 11th, 1968. I don't know much about his childhood, but he grew up to be an attractive guy. He had like sandy blonde hair and he was five foot eight and 175 pounds. He was super into like bodybuilding and like one one article said martial arts and the other one said bodybuilding. So either way, he was like a physical dude and was a real smooth talker with the ladies. And by ladies, I mean teenage girls. Um, oh. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it started when he was a teenager, and then he kept getting older, and they kept staying the same age. Gross. (laughs) So he was super, like, polite and charming and wonderful. But unfortunately, as soon as he lured these girls in with his charms and gifts and all the extravagances, he became a textbook abuser. He would win them over. He would win over their families. He would introduce them to his mom, like, right off the bat. And the teenagers when he was old? Uh, he, he started when he was, like, 19. But then he got older and he still was introducing them to his mom. Yeah. And, and she, she was, he was her baby boy. This lady fucking loved her kid and she didn't care what he did. Her name was Miss Pat. And she was, like, a really pretty, charming lady. And so he'd bring these teenage girls home and she would be like, anyone that Joe loves, I love too. And these little girls were like, oh my gosh, like this is such a beautiful family. His mom is so sweet. He's just a Prince Charming. And like, why is he even, he'd pick insecure girls. And so they'd be like, I've never had this kind of attention before. I've never had such a good looking guy tell me I'm beautiful and buy me presents. And so he, he won them over super quickly because he made them feel special 
But then he'd start getting manipulative and controlling and possessive and intimidating. And eventually he obviously got violent. So when he was 19, he started dating Amy Gearhart. She was a 15-year-old sophomore and he was a senior. A 19-year-old senior. Not sure what's going on there, but uh, he's he's 19, she's 15, and he told her she was beautiful, and he even, like, met her parents, and he was charming enough that he convinced them that she was old enough to go out on a car date with him in oh. his fancy Mustang. Um, and then he, they dated for a while, he took her to prom, he just seemed too good to be true, and she was absolutely in love with him. So they dated for five months. And over this time, she would occasionally see another side of Joseph. Uh, He would get like really angry at just like the flip of a switch. And he had guns stashed in his room, under his bed, in his car. And he'd get really jealous. Like if she was talking on the phone, like he would watch her through her windows to see if she was talking on the phone to someone and then get jealous because he didn't know who she was talking through. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, So they had dated for like five months. And then on July 24th of 1987, Amy went on vacation with a friend's family. They were spending a week at a condo at the beach and it wasn't too far from home, I guess. It was just somewhere else in Maryland. But she was staying with his friend's family, her friend, her friend had a little brother, and I don't know how many other kids were there, but they were hanging out in this parking lot near the beach and they were sharing a pint of ice cream. So they all just had like a couple spoons and were taking turns or whatever. And so they're standing around this parking lot. Amy gets a scoop of ice cream and she feeds it to one of the boys that they're hanging out with. Oh, bad idea. Well, she didn't know Joseph was there. He wasn't supposed to be. He wasn't staying with them. But all of a sudden, he just comes marching across the parking lot. And she's like, hey, like, what are you doing here? I didn't expect to see you while I'm on vacation with my friend's family. Like, how did you even know we were in this parking lot? But okay. So he comes walking over to her and he just shoves her to the ground. Oh. And her friends are, like, trying to stop him. But he just starts, like, kicking her and... Yeah, I think eventually they were able to get him off of her and someone called the cops. I don't know if it was somebody nearby who saw what was going on um, or just one of the friends went and ran somewhere and called the cops. I'm really not sure who called the cops. But when the cops got there, Joseph squeezed her hand really hard and told her not to tell them anything. And she didn't because he was scary and right there and abusive. And so she just was like, no, nothing happened. And he like turned on his charm and told the police that he'd just lost his watch and ring and they were just looking for it in the parking lot and everything was fine. And apparently none of her other friends like spoke up and were like, no, he just was kicking her on the ground. Um, So the cops were like, okay, sounds fine. Bye. So the cops leave and Joe is like, Amy, you and this kid are going to walk with me on the beach. And he pointed at her friend's 14 year old brother and so he's like, I need a witness. And so they're both like, um, uh, okay. Okay. And so they start like walking towards the beach and he makes them hold hands and walk in front of them like they're prisoners. And he just keeps like kind of kicking them and pushing them along to keep them walking. And oh yeah. So they walked for about a mile down the beach and he finally thought they were far enough away. And so he starts yelling at Amy and he's like, 
you made me lose my ring and you ruined my life. And then he starts like yelling at both of them and questioning about where everyone was sleeping in this condo because he's jealous that her friend has a little brother that's also sleeping in the condo apparently. And so he's like questioning them where everybody's sleeping in the condo. Her friend's parents are there like at the condo. It's not like it's just like some crazy teen fun sex house. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And so, and then he also is, like, questioning both of them on who she's been hanging out with for the last few days and all this stuff. Like, super crazy, jealous anger. And finally, he makes them both sit on their hands with their back against a chain link fence. And he starts telling them that he's going to break both of their legs. Oh, fudge. Yeah, so then he turns to Jason, the 14-year-old boy, and he's like, hit her. And Jason's like, I'm not going to hit her. And so he, Joseph grabs Jason's hand and like uses the kid's hand to hit Amy in the chest a few times. Um, and then he starts ranting and raving and stuff. And Amy is like, run to this 14 year old kid. She's like, get out of here, yeah. go get help. Like you, you need to run. And so he has a chance and he takes off. He's a tiny little 14 year old kid, like a scrawny little kid. And Joseph is this like muscly 19 year old who works out all the time. And has fucking anger issues. And Jason would get the shit beat out of him if if Joseph decided to do so. So uh, she tells him to run. He takes the opportunity. He runs. This pisses Joseph off that she told him to run. So he's like, okay, choose how you want to die. You want to die oh drowning, choking, or beating. And she's just like crying. And he's like, I'm going to kill your whole family. Oh my god. And so she's just crying and pleading with him to let her go and he just starts beating her up and laughing and laughing so he's hitting her in the face and the chest and she's crying and he's laughing and she notices there's some men down the beach fishing and so she makes a break for it and goes running up to these men she's able to get away from joseph enough to get to these men before he can catch her and it's dark out, apparently. It was, like, evening. And so she grabs their flashlight and is, like, pointing it at her face to show them what her boyfriend had just done to her. Because he'd been hitting her so much. And they're all, like, the fuck? But then, like, two seconds later, Joseph comes walking up. And he's, like, just super calm and collected and being, like, super reasonable. And she's being hysterical and crazy. And so he's like, this is just a misunderstanding. She's just upset with me. She's exaggerating. We're okay. We're just going to go over there and stand under that streetlight and talk it out. We'll be fine, I promise. And these dudes are like, okay, sounds cool. Yeah, so apparently just everyone hated women in the 80s, I think. The cops didn't say (laughs) these fishermen are just like, okay, go with this guy who was obviously just beating you up. So... She goes with Joe because she doesn't really know what else to do. And they walk to the streetlight that he'd pointed to. And when she gets under the streetlight and he sees what he's done to her, he just starts crying and apologizing and begging her to forgive him. And so she's just like, it's fine. It's fine. And once she finally gets away from him, she's taken to the hospital. I don't know if her friend's parents called her mom or what happened there. but um. She she's taken to the hospital. She has a contusion to one of her eardrums. She can't 
hear out of it for a few months. She had lacerations and swelling on both of her cheeks and her nose. She and these fishermen just like saw her face and was just like, oh yeah, it's cool. Yeah, and she had a contusion to one of her eyes and a burst, like a hemorrhage in her eye. So you know the whole eye was just like red, bloodshot, because that's what happens when it fucking hemorrhages. And then a bruised rib cage. So her face was fucked up and these fishermen were just like, you're right, she seems hysterical. Take her away, young man. I don't know. But, oh my god. Uh, so she goes to the hospital and her mom's like, we are pressing charges against Joseph. And Joe's mom, Miss Pat, even called them and asked them to drop the charges. She's like, he doesn't need that. Like, just please just drop the charges. He'll he leave her alone. Need that. Well, he doesn't need to put his hands on my daughter. Yeah, fuck you. We're pressing charges. Uh, so Amy's mom was like, no, your son is abusive. He's going to kill somebody someday. Yeah. Thankfully, for Amy's sake, after she pressed charges, he left her alone. Yeah, thank God. But that fall, she starts seeing Joe around town with an, a new 16-year-old girl named Kimberly. So it wasn't too long until Kimberly reached out to Amy and was like, how do I get away from Joe? Oh my gosh. She had a black eye and she was scared. And Amy's press like, charges. yeah, Amy was like, you, you press charges, get a restraining order. Um, like, that's the only way to, to get away from him. Do it. Like, you need to file charges against him. So yeah. in October of 1987, Kimberly's mom filed a document with police stating that Joseph had searched Kimberly's bedroom without her permission when she was in the bathroom. And he found her birth control kill pills and he got super pissed and so when she came back he slapped her several times bruised her eye bruised her face gave her a black eye and then punched her in the stomach oh and so uh her mom files charges she makes this complaint against him but kimberly must have forgiven him oh my gosh because that was in october of 1987 and then uh, in February of 1988, four months later, there was another police report being filed. So Kimberly had been over at Joseph's house. He lived with his grandma and his mom, I guess. His grandma owned the house, but he lived there. And I, I think he lived with his mom because she was so like doting. I'm not really sure. But his grandma was home and him and Kimberly were there. And he pulls Kimberly into the bathroom and tells her he wants to have sex. And she's like, no, like, I don't want to do that. Your grandma's right out there. I like stop. And he was like, gets super angry because she turned him down, you know, and he's fucking abusive and terrible. So he punched her in the chest a bunch of times. And then he left the bathroom and got a razor blade. And he told her that if she didn't come and talk to him, he was going to beat her even more, whether his grandma's home or not. Oh, my goodness. He's crazy. He's scary. And he's preying on young girls in like a really vulnerable age of life. So yeah. she tells her mom what happened this time. And um, her mom's like, okay, you're obviously not seeing this dude. We're filing another police report. So with this one, he was actually convicted of abuse and sentenced to two years of supervised probation because that's good enough. Yeah. And he's like 20 at this point. Supervised probation. That's, yeah. that's really not anything. Any, yeah, it's nothing. But apparently, so he dated Amy first and then Kimberly, but apparently the court stuff with Kimberly was moving faster than the stuff from Amy. So he was sentenced to two years of supervised probation for the Kimberly stuff. And then he had to go to court for the Amy assault. So 
after that, he in 1989, he goes to court for the attack on Amy at, on the beach. And um, he pleads not guilty by reason of insanity. Uh, so they did like a... Insanity? Yeah. Ugh. Uh, they did like a mental health evaluation and they found him competent to stand trial and he was sentenced to four years in prison. He served two. And it would have been less, but he got caught trying to escape and it added to his time. The whole time he was in prison, he was, like, going to counseling and, like, trying to fix him or whatever. And when he got out, he was 22 years old. He got out of prison. He moved in with his mom and his stepdad. And he worked part-time in an athletic supply store. He took lifeguarding courses and did miscellaneous construction jobs. But his home life was really strained because his mom and his stepdad didn't like that he kept dating these high school girls and sneaking them into their house. And they just wanted him to stop, and he wouldn't. Well, at least they finally got a hint. Kinda. Just wait. Uh, (laughs) So, he's 22. He just got out of prison, and he's sneaking high school girls into his parents' house. Wonderful. Um, So, it wasn't working out. His parents were getting mad at him. So, within four months of getting out of prison, he gets an apartment with two roommates and starts dating a 17-year-old girl named Sharon. In September of that year, the assistant principal confronted him and warned him that he couldn't come to the school anymore and it would be considered trespassing and they would call the police if they saw him again. And then in November of 1991, he was back at the school and he and Sharon were standing out front of the school arguing. And so she turned and went into the school to get away from him and he ran her down in the halls pushed her against the wall and just started hitting her inside of the high school um and he's yelling at her that he's gonna kill her parents and that he was telling her if he went back to jail he was gonna kill her or get someone to hurt her and he'd previously had some of his friends go to her house on his behalf when he was mad before so she believed these like these threats were real he was like i'll have someone hurt you if i go to jail and she's like he's already had people come like threaten me um so she reported this one obviously it was on school grounds and so she she was like he's pushed me before and he's pulled my hair but he's never hit me like that like nothing ever that bad and so he got arrested and got bailed out by his mom and was just told to leave sharon alone And he didn't. (laughs) So he keeps calling Sharon and he's threatening to kill her and her family. He went to a pawn shop and bought a rifle because he was able to. And then he was like telling his friends that he was going to go to the school and start shooting people. And his friends were just like, he's just talking talk. Like, it's no big deal. It's fine. That's just what he says. He's just been to jail a few times. Let's not take him seriously. Totally cool. So Sharon reports these phone calls and he gets rearrested because he was out on bail and he broke the conditions of his bail by contacting her. Uh, But he goes to this detention center when he gets arrested and they're like, I think we need to do a psych evaluation because he wanted to do like an insane plea again. So they send him to a hospital where initially they diagnosed him as having bipolar mood disorder and possible depression, but they weren't done evaluating him. But two days after he got there, he escaped and ran away. Oh, cool. Yeah, super awesome. So he gets out. He runs away and ends up in Idaho. He had used one of his friend's IDs and just left. That's pretty far from Maryland. Really far from Maryland. I don't know how he got (laughs) there. But 
he did. And he was on the run for a month before wow. he was found in Idaho. I don't know if he had a connection in Idaho of some sort. I have no idea how he got to Idaho. But a month after he'd escaped, a woman calls the police in Idaho and she's like, this dude assaulted my 15-year-old daughter. He's threatening to kill my son. Like, please investigate. And so they start looking into those allegations. But at the same time, they get contacted by the Maryland Police Department. And the police are, they're like, hey, we've reason to believe this guy Joseph is hanging out in your city. Just so you know, he's probably mentally unstable and a threat to himself and under others and is most likely armed. Yeah. Keep an eye out. So they tie the two together. They figure out where he is, and on the morning of January 17, 1992, he barricaded himself inside an apartment and told the police um, negotiators that he was going to start killing people in a nearby parking lot and then kill himself if police advanced on him at all. Yikes. Yeah, so he has a 16-hour standoff with SWAT, and they finally hit him with tear gas and apprehended him, and he was returned to Maryland. Jeez. Yeah. So it had the ordeal. Yeah. So it'd been like nine months since he got out of jail for his two years of his four year sentence. And now he's facing all sorts of new charges, like federal gun crimes and stuff like that. Um, Unless he's legally insane. Mm -hmm. Oh, you can only like that. You're the boy who cried wolf, man. Right. So. Of course, his lawyers are like, he's insane. It's not his fault. Uh, And they send him to a federal correctional institute for a month to be evaluated. During that month, he told doctors that he had purchased that gun at the pawn shop to kill the ninjas that were out to get him. And on two separate occasions, he cut his wrists. One time it was bad enough that he needed stitches, but neither of them were bad enough to actually, like, kill himself. Um. In the future, he told a girlfriend that he'd done all of it to fool the system, and it worked. He was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic, and that meant he met the criteria for insanity, and he was found not guilty. Oh. But he did have to spend some time in mental facilities getting help, and he spent 15 months in different facilities and made an amazing recovery. Of course he did. And then he's going to get out and go fucking do it all over again. Yeah. So the new doctors now, 15 months later, are like, he's extremely stable. There's no evidence of any bizarre behavior. Behavior. or Behavior. behavior. (laughs) There's no behavior or verbalizations that might be indicative to delusional thinking. And they don't even have him being medicated. They're like, nope, he's good. Off yeah, into the, the world. There's no way he could be insane. Well, but, paranoid schizophrenia doesn't go away. And, like, you need to be medicated for the rest of your life. It doesn't you yeah. just get go away. Right. But he's fine. Don't worry about it. He, yeah. It's because he was faking it. That's why he's better now. Yeah, exactly. So they let him go without any further treatment or follow-up. They're just like, nope, he's fixed. Bye. He's fixed. It's no big deal. He's good. Yeah. So, but he still had to face charges for escaping the first hospital that had been evaluating him because he was supposed to be in jail at that time. So he technically escaped authorities and he had to face charges for that. But he received a suspended sentence for the time served already and five years probation. So he's just free to go about his way. Yeah. Okay, bye. (laughs) Fast forward to the summer of 1995. Joe has a new girlfriend. 
name. Oh, is she 17? She is. Her name oh is... Oh, my goodness. That's Mich so smart. You are. Her name is Michelle, and she's 17, and she has a young baby. Oh, yikes. Yeah, not great. Um, oh. And Joe told her he was 23, and he just adored her and was so doting on her and her baby. Um, but Michelle lived with her dad, Gary. And Gary, like, pretty quickly got suspicious of this new boyfriend, Joe. He was like, um, first of all, he does not look like a 23-year-old. Yeah. And that's because he was 27, not 23. He's pushing 30. Uh. And then there was other things. Joe didn't seem to have any job, as far as Gary could tell. And Gary had caught him on multiple occasions hiding in their bushes to spy on Michelle to see if she was talking on the phone to anybody else. See if oh, she was. Yeah, nope. Yeah, no. Uh, see if she was smoking because he told her she couldn't smoke. And so he would spy from the bushes to see if she was doing that. And um, then Gary started to see bruises on Michelle. And Gary's ex wife, I'm not sure if it was Michelle's mom, but I think it was Michelle's mom. So his ex wife had been beaten to death by her boyfriend in 1989. Oh, so he will not tolerate that. Yeah, and he's like, I don't want to see my daughter go down the same path as possibly her mom. Um, so he confronted Michelle and was like, hey, like, where'd you get these bruises? I know something's going on. And your boyfriend's not 23. And she's like, <laughs> <laughs> she's like, no, dad, it's fine. You're overreacting. I fell off a ladder when I was helping Joe's mom with her cleaning business. I'm fine. It's fine. It's nothing. Um. And he didn't believe her, but they got in this huge fight about it, and he couldn't really make her stop seeing Joe. So she kept seeing Joe. But then in July, something happened, and Joe was over at their house, and he was like, dude, you gotta leave. Get out of here. Get out of my house. And Joe lost his shit. So Gary's this, like, little 125-pound, 125 125 not 125-year-old, <laughs> he's a 125-pound man in his late 40s. And Joe's this, like, really fit 27-year-old guy. And Gary ended up in the hospital with four broken ribs and a split lip that needed stitches. Oh, my gosh. Does she at least, like, get the hint now? Nope. And oh, Gary... Boy. Yeah. And Gary didn't even press charges because he just didn't want to make things worse. He knew Michelle was still seeing him, so he didn't want to, like, push her away. So he didn't even press charges. And that was in July. Then Michelle kept seeing Joe, and on Christmas Day, they spent the whole holiday together. They were visiting both of their families. They just went around town seeing everybody, having a great day. And then at the end of the day, she was just really tired, and she wanted to go home to her own bed at her dad's house. But Joe wanted her to stay at his apartment with him, and she was like, no, like I just want to go home and go to bed. And he lost his mind. Oh. Yeah. And uh, you don't want Joe to get mad. So things escalated quickly, and Joe choked Michelle and slammed her head into the shower tiles. Oh and, my gosh. Yeah. And she fought back and she scratched his face and she made him bleed, but she got blood on his new white sweater that she had given him for Christmas. And oh. he was pissed. And he was like, You have 10 minutes to get the stains out of that sweater, or you're going to get the beating of your life. Oh my gosh. And so she like 
is running it under cold water. She's trying to use an ice cube to get the blood out, but she ran out of time. So Joe starts beating the shit out of her some more. And then he brings her to the kitchen and tells her to get a knife out of the knife drawer or whatever. So she picks up a knife and he takes a dish towel and puts it over his hand and takes the knife from her. And he's like, I could kill you right now. My fingerprints aren't on this knife. Yours are. I could just tell the cops that you attacked me and you stabbed yourself in the struggle. And... Oh my gosh. Then he continued to beat her. Yeah, this guy's a fucking abuse, like an extreme abuser, but they always escalate. Yeah. Abusers escalate and it's terrible. So he beats the shit out of her and finally he just like passes out and she just laid there next to him all night, like shivering in fear, afraid that if she moved, he would just wake up and kill her. So the next day she was supposed to go to work and he doesn't really want to let her go. And she's just like begging him to let her go to work. And she's like, I love you so much. I would never leave you. I love you. Like, uh, I, I'm the only one of us making money. We need that money. I can't lose my job. Like, please bring me to work. And finally he was like, Oh, you're right. I don't have a job because I'm a loser. All uh, right. Well, thank God that she's like reasonable and like, Oh, please just, we need my paycheck. Oh, I love yeah. you. I would never leave you. I love you. I love you. And so Finally, he takes her to work. She worked at a video store, and he drove her there, and then he just sat in the parking lot and watched her. Uh. And finally, he left. And as soon as he left, she called a cab, and she went home to her dad. So her dad's like, okay, yeah, we're going to the police right now. Um, So they go and file charges against Joe, and then Joe's mom calls them and begs them to drop the charges because Joe was on probation and it's going to ruin his life. He's delusional. Yeah, his mom is terrible. And she's like, no, if he gets these charges, he's still on probation. Like, please just drop the charges or he'll go back to jail. And he should be in jail. Exactly. fucking retarded, lady? And they're like, yeah, right, lady. Bye. So he gets arrested. Um... But he's not going to go down without a fight. And now he has it out for Gary. Because he feels like Gary is the one controlling Michelle. And he wants to be the one controlling Michelle. And so he he gets arrested. He's in jail because he was on probation. But he never just had one girl. He had one girl that he was obsessed with. But he was always flirting with these other teenage girls. And had them like kind of on the side. So he'd been kind of talking to this other 17 year old girl. Named Lisa. And like they'd been friends. And he would been like super charming to her and stuff. But he was dating Michelle. And didn't have time to stalk Lisa as well. So she just thought he was like this really nice good looking guy. That flirted with her. But then after he got arrested, he started calling her and talking, like, being super sweet to Lisa. And he's telling her how beautiful she is and how special she is. And um, he told her that he got arrested because Michelle lied about him. He said that he caught Michelle cheating on him. And when he dumped her, she lied to the police and he got arrested and he was being held uh, erroneously. And oh. Gosh. Lisa was like, oh, you poor baby. I'm so sorry that happened to you. So I'm so sorry. What do you want me to do for you? Yeah, exactly. And so he starts calling her like every other day, um, collect calls from the jail. And then he started calling her every day because she's becoming his new girlfriend, obsession, oh, abuse okay. victim. So eventually it's the point where he's calling her every chance he gets from the jail and she dropped out of school so she could be available to talk to him whenever he wanted. 
how are these girls so stupid? Like, I get that you're young and naive, but are you, why? You are, you don't have a brain, do you? <laughs> I, I don't want to say that about, like, abuse victims. Because, you know, you, I don't know, you, they tear yeah, you down. I guess I'm just being an insensitive a-hole because I. In Lisa's case, it's like, he was in jail when he started talking to you. Yeah. What the fuck are you thinking? So in Lisa's case, I'm like, yeah, you're fucking dumb. But in the other girls' cases, it's like they are so nice, but at the same time, they're really abusers, that is. They're so nice, but they're secretly, like, tearing away at all your insecurities and making you feel like trash. Yeah, and you're the problem. And Yeah, and so they just wear you down to the point where you think, like, you can't leave them because no one else will love you. So. Yeah. Lisa's case, though, he was literally in jail when this whole thing started. She's yeah. done. She dropped she's out of school so she could answer his calls from the jail. Like, really? Yeah, she's done. So, uh, so she believes him. She believes that he's wrongfully imprisoned at the moment. And she thinks he's just this innocent 22-year-old because he told her he was 22. Oh, and he's 27? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he's being held in jail on false charges. He has a friend, so Joe's friend Ramona was driving Joe's car while he was in jail. Because somehow Joe always has really nice sports cars. I don't know. He, like, never has a job, but he always has a really nice sports car. Did so, his mommy pay for it? I have no idea, because I don't think his mom really had money. So I, I don't really know. But Ramona, I'm not sure if Ramona is a man or a woman. From the gist of the writing i feel like ramona's a man but i feel like it's a woman's name so i'm not really sure but ramona's driving joe's car around while he's in jail they were roommates i think and so ramona is giving lisa rides around town in the fancy car and he's taking lisa to the jail to visit joe and joe's still kind of like pampering lisa in that way from jail he's like well you get to ride around in a fancy car of mine meanwhile joe's still trying to intimidate Michelle to drop the charges. And so he first files a police report against Michelle saying that she um, robbed him. And oh. he like lied on the paperwork saying that she was over 18 because he wanted her to get arrested. It didn't work. She did not. Well, that's good. The police weren't that dumb. So then he tries pressing charges against Gary, her dad, for the fight they got in that previous summer where Gary had four broken ribs and a split lip that needed stitches. And Gary's like, um, okay, I didn't press charges at the time, but I will now, I guess. These are yeah. my medical records. And so that didn't work for him either. So then one morning, Michelle wakes up and her truck's been vandalized the night before. They'd slit all of her tires. They poured sugar in her gas tank. Like Lisa... I don't think that one was Lisa. I don't think Lisa did that. Uh, I think it was like probably Ramona or some of his other jail friends. Uh, he somehow had all these friends that were very loyal to him. Interesting. Yeah. So still, Michelle and Gary are not dropping the charges that they have pending against him. Uh, so Joe calls Lisa and he's like, hey, I really need your help with this. Like, Michelle is just holding firm on these false charges against me. I need you to help me out. I need you to file a police report against Gary and say that he threatened to kill you and your family if you testified in my behalf. 
Oh, gosh. Does she fall for this? Well, she's like, I don't want to do that. And, like, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't, I've never met this guy. I don't want to do that. And Joe's like, this is serious. I'm going to kill you if you don't do this. And so she's like, I love this guy. And he's just stressed out from being in jail. And that's why he's acting so erratically. But I also don't want to file a fake police report. So she tried making a fake police report. She, like, found some form at the library and, like, forged a signature and pretended that she filed a police report and just, like, nothing came of it. But as soon as he saw it, he was like, do you think I'm stupid? This isn't real. This isn't a game. If you don't do this, I'm going to kill you and your entire family. And so she does it. So she... Why? Gosh. He's in prison. Just stop talking to him. Like, what? I think he picked really, really insecure girls that thought they could never find a great guy and uh, i think they probably have never even got i don't think they've ever gotten any attention from guys before at all and so then they have this like really good looking guy making them feel more insecure and telling them that he's the only one that's ever going to love them so they kind of just i don't get sucked in i don't know but she did it so she goes and files a police report a report saying that gary had called her multiple times and threatened her and that he said he was going to blow up her house if she um, testified on Joe's behalf and that he said he was going to kill her and her family and Gary was arrested. So they, he, he was really arrested. Like they didn't look into this to like try and get any truth. Why would the 17 year old girl lie about that? And then, so he was arrested. He had to wait for like his new wife to post bail for him and he missed out on work. His wife had to pay bail money and his neighbors. I would be like, you motherfuckers, if I called her, where's the phone records? Like, it's do the all this early nineties, so I guess they're less available. I don't know. And it takes time. So they have to arrest him right off the bat. And then that's all stuff that'll come in the court process. But that's initially ridiculous though. So he gets he pays bail and he gets released. But then over the next month he gets arrested three more times because Ramona, the friend, his sister made the same claims as Lisa three times saying that he was still threatening her. So now he has two teenage girls saying that he's threatening them. And so he got arrested four times in a month. That's freaking ridiculous. This poor guy. Yeah. And so Michelle is like, dad, please just let me drop the charges against Joe. He'll leave us alone if we're not pressing these charges. Like, please just let me drop the charges. And Gary's like, no. Like, no way. He needs to face justice for this. I didn't do these things. That'll come to light eventually. I'm not threatening teenage girls. That's not provable when we get the phone records whenever that happens because stuff takes time. Like, that'll be proven. But for now, I can spend a night in jail or whatever. At one point in time, they were in the same jail. And he had to wear a badge saying, like, keep me away from Joe. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Poor Gary's, like, fighting the good fight. He's not letting Michelle drop the charges. And eventually... Ramona's sister admitted that she had lied to the cops. They questioned her enough. And she was like, yeah, you're right. It was a lie. So then she wore a recorder and she got proof that Lisa had also been lying. And so all the charges against Gary were dropped. And eventually he went on to sue both of them for slander or whatever. Good. Stupid idiots. Yeah. I don't know really what happened with that. But eventually it happened. In the meantime, he had bigger things to worry about. Because in the summer of 1996... Joe got out. Joe was free. Uh. So prosecutors didn't do a jury trial for this one. 
because they had no reliable witnesses that he had attacked Michelle. And so they didn't do a trial and they just offered him uh, to plead guilty to batter and witness intimidation. And he got a suspended sentence and was free to go. What? Mm-hmm. So go ahead and plead guilty to these things and then you're good. Okay, yep, bye. Exactly. So as soon as that happened, Gary went home and just cut out, cut down all the bushes around his house. He was like, no more, no more from you, mister. You're not going to be hiding in my bushes. Um, but by this point, Joe had moved on. Michelle was a past mistake for him now. Thankfully, for Gary's yeah, sake. thankfully for Gary and her little baby. Yeah. So he's out of prison and he goes to the gas station to fill up his fancy sports car. And at the pump next to him is this cute 16 year old girl named Stacy. They're just getting younger and younger and he's just getting older and older. Yeah. Um, so he was like, she was like, Hey, nice car. And he was like, Oh yeah, I have some tires and rims for sale at my apartment. You want to come see them and see if you want to buy them. And she was like, sounds great. And so oh. she like followed him home and got his phone number and they started talking and went out on a date. And two weeks after their first date, she turned 17. So now she's 17. <laughs> she was pretty yeah, close. That's good. And she believed that he was 20. He's pushing 28 at this point. How do they believe these things? Teenage girls are fucking dumb. Her parents are like, that is not a 20 year old and you are not dating him. But Stacy was like, mm, yeah, I am. <laughs> so she keeps seeing him behind her parents' back. Um, of course she does, like they all do. But he really quickly got obsessed with her and started doing his creepy stalker thing. And her family was like, okay, you're obviously still talking to this dude because he's like standing on our street corner every day. And as soon as he thinks one of us is at home, he's running up to the window and looking in to see if he can see you talking on the phone. Oh, heck no. That's so freaking creepy. The neighbors are telling us. And he would like borrow friends' cars to drive by. And so they didn't know it was him, but they knew it was him. Her mom's brother was a cop. And so they were like, they should have, he could pull his record. They should just, they, they did. They were working on it. Um, so my story was getting pretty long at this point. So I didn't even put that all in my notes, but he was being super creepy. They knew it was still happening. Stacy wouldn't stop talking to him. So they pulled his record and Stacy was like, Hey, my dad knows he like found out some stuff about you and it's he's not okay with it and joe was like well what does he know and he's like does he know about like the kidnapping or this or that and she was like well no he heard about like assault and battery and a weapons charge or something and he was like that's nothing like he obviously didn't pull my record i don't even know where he's getting this information but i have multiple counts of gun charges federal gun charges two charges of kidnapping intimidating a witness he listed all of these charges he's like i have like 40 plus charges that i've fought and i've only been convicted on three of them and blah 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 blah, blah, and all this stuff and she's just like okay and he's like you're gonna start tape recording your parents phone conversations because i'm gonna figure out what your dad knows i'm gonna find out how he's getting his dirt i'm gonna know his next move before he knows I know and then I'm gonna have to go to the next step so he's like threatening her parents and she's like okay uh Uh, okay yeah uh 
But her parents weren't dumb, and they did know he had a criminal record. They knew he wasn't a 20-year-old. And eventually, they pressed charges to have him stay away from their daughter. And since he was still on parole for the first time he escaped that mental hospital, he was arrested again. Thank goodness. Yeah. And Stacy still was just, like, convinced that they were in love and going to be together. So from prison, he wasn't allowed to contact her. So he wrote a letter and sent it to his mom and told his mom to bring it to her. So his mom, Miss Pat, goes to the grocery store where Stacy works and she gives her the letter and then she just stands there while Stacy reads it and then makes Stacy give it back to her because she had promised Joe that Stacy's parents wouldn't be able to find it. Oh. So she's delivering messages to the teenage girl that is like 11 years plus younger than her son. And this note says how much he loves her and that when he gets out, they're going to move to Florida and get married and life's going to be so great. And she's the best thing that ever happened to him. And all these charges are just trumped up stuff and they're not real. And so she's like, okay, like we're going to be together. I love this guy. My Prince Charming. But then, so she's kind of in his friend group at this point. I'm not sure. But one of his friends was talking to her and they were like, I I don't know who it was or how this came about, but they showed her another letter that Joe had written to them. And this letter was like bragging about all the shit he'd done. And so this letter's like, oh, the whole thing with Stacy is just a big joke. She's so fucking dumb. All you have to do is lie to women. You can get them to do whatever the fuck you want. Uh, Yeah, he's like, I've taken count. I've fucked 142 girls. 38 of them were virgins. They're all just fucking stupid. Stacy's just as stupid as the rest of them. And so thankfully, they showed Stacy this letter and she was like, oh, okay, bye. So she writes him a letter and breaks up with him. So then he starts like calling his friends from prison and having his friends harass her more. So she's getting like threatening pages on her pager and notes left on her car and shit. And uh, so that's kind of scary for her for a while, but she's officially done with him. So he met her in 96, and that time when he was arrested for breaking his parole, he was sentenced to three more years in jail. The judge was like, he's a danger, obviously. This guy is a danger to society. Stacy's lucky she never got fucking beat up. Right. No kidding. But um, he did two years. He was released in June of 1998, and he'd moved on. Stacy was out of his life now. So at least there's that. Once he's done with them, he's done with them. Usually. Usually. (laughs) So now he's out of prison. He's doing his thing for a couple years. And um, shortly after he gets out of jail, he meets a woman named Tracy. Tracy's 20. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she must have looked young. (laughs) She must have just had that baby face. Yeah. They met in the checkout line at the grocery store he's now like 30 so i guess it's good that he's moving up to 20 year olds and not 17 year olds anymore yeah i i doubt it was on purpose (laughs) so he meets tracy sometime after he gets out of prison in 98 and i'm not sure the details of their relationship or the abuse but i do know by march 7th of the year 2000 tracy was in hiding from joe at a family friend's home she was staying with her parents' friends, George and Gloria Schenk, while she tried to find a new apartment. Um, she had been living with her parents and then staying with Joe a lot, but 
he knew where her parents lived. She knew she wasn't safe there. And so she was staying with these, with George and Gloria while she tried to find a new apartment where Joe wouldn't be able to find her. So George and Gloria were 49 and 50 years old, friends of her parents. They live nearby. They're just like helping her kind of try and stay hidden from this guy. But somehow he found her. He shows up at the Shanks home and he tries to kidnap Tracy. He's like, you're coming with me. Yay. And she's like, no, I'm not. And so the Shanks like try and stop him and he shoots them both. Oh my gosh. That escalated quickly. I mean, slowly over 10 years, but yeah. Um, yeah. He was going to kill someone eventually. So he shot them both. Unfortunately, they were shot in front of their 12-year-old son and their two-year-old grandson. Oh, gosh. And he grabs Tracy. He's pulling her to his car and she's screaming. And a neighbor guy who's like 42 or something hears the screaming and he tries to stop him. And he also gets shot and killed in the driveway. Like, wow. Yeah. So he goes on the run with Tracy. He pulls her into his mom's minivan and they go on the run. And the next day he attempted to carjack somebody. And in the process, like it failed and he fired his gun a bunch of times, but apparently not at the car he was trying to steal. It was a little unclear, but he ended up shooting a woman that was in her car with her kids and killing her. And her two-year-old got shot in the cheek. She's Louise. And lived, thank God, but she died. And he didn't even get a car. He just like, it didn't work out and he ran away. Um, But later that day, he broke into an old lady's house. She was 81 years old and he handcuffed her to her bed and stole her car. She was, oh my gosh. She was all right, thankfully. So then he takes Tracy to a motel and they're inside the motel. And so this point is a little conflicting. So the guy who worked at the motel and checked them in says that he saw her with Joe as they checked in and she seemed like she didn't have a care in the world. She didn't look scared. She didn't look frightened. She just was like kind of smiling and hanging out. And I don't know. She'd watched him kill three people, if not four people. So I'd be like terrified for my life. Yeah. And I don't know if that guy was just like exaggerating or what, but they check into this motel and they're watching the news. And on the news, it has the information about the car he stole from the old lady. And it has like the details of the car and the plate and He's like, oh, shit, like that car's parked outside and it's recognizable and all my guns are in it. We need to go get my guns out of it. If they tow the car, I don't want them to tow my guns. Oh, my gosh. So he goes outside. He brings Tracy with him and she sees a cop across the parking lot. And so as soon as she sees the cop, she runs. She just books it over to the cop. And Joe. Yeah. And Joe takes off in the other direction. Like he's just gone. And so they're like, police are looking for him. They can't find him for a few more days. Um, So she's safe, thankfully. And then he took her on March 7th. So now it's March 10th. He somehow made his way to Virginia. And then while he was in Virginia, they're, they're unclear on how he got to Virginia. He said he got a ride from a lady. They thought he took a train. Somehow he got to Virginia. And on March 10th, he kidnaps a guy it said kidnapped i think he carjacked him i think he got in the car and told him to drive him back to maryland and so this guy just is like okay like don't hurt me and he's like just do what i say so then he makes him stop at a store and he tells him to go inside and buy all these supplies and he gives them a lot of cash and he's like if you call the cops or if you don't come back i'm just gonna start shooting people in the parking lot 
And oh my gosh. So, so this guy's like, okay, like I'll be right back. And he does. He goes and buys the stuff. He comes back and Joe's like, okay, drive. So this guy drives him back to Maryland and Joe just left him in his truck on the side of the road and like jumped out and ran somewhere. And so the guy like had told him he wouldn't call the police. And so he just like sat in his car until the police found him. And they, he was like, this is what happened. I just t- did what I told him I'd do and prayed that I didn't die. And so that guy made it unharmed and no one else got shot. Wow. So then on March 17th, so he initially kidnapped. St. Patrick's Day. Is that St. Patrick's Day? It is. Yeah. Um, he initially kidnapped Tracy and killed her parents' friends and their neighbor on the 7th. So it's now been 10 days. Oh my gosh. And he's back in Maryland. And there's like roadblocks set up to try and like find him. And he somehow makes it like through all these roadblocks to her parents' house. What the fuck? Yeah. So he gets to her mom's house. It's her mom and her mom's boyfriend. And then she has like a 12-year-old brother. Tracy's not there. She's not at this house. But he knocks on the door and her 12-year-old brother opens the door. And apparently he wasn't aware of like the whole danger of the situation. So he just let him in. Oh, God. And so he holds them hostage for four days in their house. He's like the police. I don't know if he calls the police or they call the police or what happens, but the police are aware and they have this four day like hostage standoff situation. And he just keeps telling the cops, like, put Tracy on the phone. I just want to talk to Tracy. My only demand is that you let me talk to Tracy. And the cops are like, no, because it's not normal for someone just to have one demand. And they were pretty sure if they put Tracy on the phone, he would just make her listen to him kill her family. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So they were like, not happening. No fucking way. So they're... Well, thank God they didn't do that. Oh. Yeah. Um, so four days later, Tracy's mom was able to slip a bunch of Xanax in an iced tea that he drank. So he drank it and then he like passed the fuck out. But it was like late at night. And so he passed out. They wait a while to make sure he's asleep. And the mom and the boyfriend sneak out a window. The mom and the boyfriend sneak out a window. The kids? They left their 12-year-old son sleeping on the kitchen floor in the house with this deranged murderer. You just gave him a bunch of Xanax. Get the fucking kid and go out the fucking door. The kid is the first person you put out the fucking window. Are you kidding me? Yeah. They left him because they were afraid that if he woke up, he might be scared and make too much noise. So they left without him. And then does that a bad one. I there's no fucking way. Are you kidding me? Um, they, they received a lot of flack for this and they were like, well, we just trusted that the police were going to protect him. And it's like, well, you've been stuck in the house for four fucking days and the police haven't been able to save you. How do you think they're going to save your 12 year old? Are you fucking kidding me? And you just left him in this house with a murderer who now has like no other hostages besides this kid that he's obviously going to murder. So they sneak out the window, they go to the police and they're like, Hey, we left our kid inside. And the cops are like, what the fuck? What the fuck? okay, we have to go save this kid because his parents obviously don't give a fuck about him. So the police stormed the house and they uh, they said when they came in the house that Joe was up and started coming at them with guns. And so they shot him 27 times. 27 times? Yeah. Wow. And I'm like, like, was he passed out or was he attacking you with guns? So yeah. thankfully the 12-year-old was fine. He just has really bad parents. Um, 
and Joe should have taken him away. Right? Like, what the fuck? I can't. I can't. Like, that shouldn't make me matter than everything else in this story. But everything else was done by a deranged person and a deranged abuser that was obviously like a narcissist and a crazy person. Yeah. This was done by parents that were just trying to save their ass before their kids. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, no, that's not appropriate. If you're a parent, you give you your child is your first priority. Yeah, there's no fucking way I would leave my kid in the house with that guy. Yeah, I, no fucking way. Either my kid goes first and I risk it, like risk being hurt and caught and shot myself, or we all stay. Like literally yeah. and I'm like lying on top of my kid, so if he shoots, hopefully I can save them. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, so his one thing he had threatened to all of his girlfriends was that he would kill their family, and eventually he ended up holding one of their families hostage. And I think the cops were right. I think he would have just killed him if she'd gotten on the phone. Yeah, probably. I mean, he definitely had a screw loose and was just out for blood for sure. And one thing I forgot to say, because I didn't put it in my notes, um, he the day before he kidnapped Tracy, he would told his mom that he'd had no point in living anymore. So he was planning on going down in a blaze of glory. Oh, and his mom is delusional. And why would she not like... Why would she not want her kid to get help? You know, like obviously she loved him. Make him get help. Make him not stop beating up women. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's freaking nuts. Yeah. But that's... They killed him and he killed four innocent people. And beat up a lot of women. And when I say women, I mean teenage girls. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's crazy, all the stuff that he got away with, just because people are just like, no, it's okay. Well, and like the system failed. Yeah. Because a lot of people pressed charges against him. And the one thing that he got the biggest sentence for was escaping. Yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. That's what got him. Not beating up a bunch of girls. Nope, you escaped from a, a mental hospital when you were being held on charges. Like, that's what's going to hold you the most. What? Yeah. So, that case is really frustrating. And he finally got caught in 2001. He was 31 years old. Jeez. And by caught, I mean killed. But, um, thankfully... Well, good. Whatever. If he was passed the fuck out and they just threw 27 bullets in him, or if he was fighting, I don't care. Yeah, I don't feel bad about his demise because yeah. he no fuck that guy. If he had woke up and seen only that kid there, he probably would have killed him. So and then yeah, like and I cannot believe those fucking parents. Me neither. Are you kidding me? Because yeah, the kid goes first, or you all stay. Exactly. You don't think you can get your kid out quietly enough? No one gets out. Or yeah. one person goes very quietly. And the rest of you just hope that they make it and get you enough help. But the cops knew you were in there. So if the cops could have made it in safely, they would have already. So I don't know. I don't know. But you don't leave your fucking kid. Yeah, no. Not with a psychopath. Yeah. I didn't really look at pictures of this guy. Everything was just like, he was so good looking and he went over all these girls. I disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, your face (laughs) was like, uh, nope. So this is Joe here. Let me. Yeah. uh, He's not cute. He does not look 20. Like, dude looks like he's 35. He looks old as fuck. Yeah. (laughs) 
I don't know who these people are. So they're some of his victims. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, he's He looks old. He doesn't even look 27. He doesn't look 31. He looks like he's like late 30s. Yeah, he looks real old. Um, he looks way older than 31. And he's telling people he's 20. Are you kidding me? I was yeah. picturing him attractive. <laughs> no, he's not good looking. Oh, I think these are the parents with the 12-year-old. Oh, jeez. <sighs> yeah, I think that's the parents that left their son on the floor. Well, they look like real pieces of shit. They really do. Yeah, he's not... Um, Yeah. He is old as hell. Are you kidding me? He's so old. Like, he looks like he's fucking 45 in this picture. Yeah, no, he's... He could not... You couldn't tell me he was 20-something. 20-anything. No. Like, no, no, no. And all of the parents were like, there's no way that guy's in his 20s. But yeah, the kids no, were like, he's, he's too, I love him. Old. Um, yeah, so that's Joseph Palkazinski. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. Yeah, huge piece of shit. I don't have a joke for that. I heard one earlier this week, and then... I did the thing where I was like, oh, I got to remember that. And then I don't remember it. My mom told me one and it was kind of long and now I don't remember it. Um, let's see if I remember it. A guy walks into a bar and asks the bartender for a drink. He's carrying a paper bag and the bartender's like, what's in your paper bag? And he's like, Ugh. and he opens the paper bag and he pulls out this tiny piano. And then he pulls out this little, tiny little man and a little piano bench and he sits the man at the piano bench and the man just starts playing beautiful piano he uses this tiny little thing on top of the bar school and the man's like oh my god that's amazing where did you get that and he was like i got i have a i found a genie you can have him if you want there's two wishes left and the bartender's like that'd be great uh, i wish for a million bucks and just then a million ducks just start flying through every entrance to this bar, all the windows, all the doors. There's just ducks everywhere. And the bartender's like, what the hell? And the guy's like, oh yeah, he's kind of hard of hearing. Do you think I asked for a 10-inch pianist? That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. my family's been doing like a monthly Zoom during the pandemic and it's nice because my family lives all over the country so we don't really see each other that often anyways so uh we we do a monthly zoom on like the first sunday of the month and this month they were like we're just gonna have grandma answer a bunch of questions so if you have any questions for grandma um send them our way so we all just kind of listen to my grandma talk about her youth and her honeymoon and all that stuff my grandma's like 94 yeah and um amazing she's just like a wonderful human being and she's so just sweet and full of life and fantastic and i don't see her very often she lives in michigan and towards the end everybody was logging off and it was just like a couple of my aunts and one of my cousins and my grandma left on and i was like okay well i have to go and my grandma's like well how have you been maggie and what have you been up to and i was like oh just momming and she was like what and i was like just momming, being a mom, doing mom stuff. And she was like, oh, I thought you said you were Mormon. <laughs> I was like, definitely not. And she was like, huh. and then my aunt was like, you started a podcast, right? And I was like, yeah, I, I do a podcast. It's pretty fun. It's like a true crime thing. And uh, my other aunt was like, <laughs> and she was like, well, I listened to an episode because my family's from Michigan. She was like, oh, I listened to the Michigan episode the other day. And I was like, 
oh, and because my family's not like us. I don't like they're yeah. sweet people that don't swear. Most of them go to church and like don't swear and talk horribly <laughs> and drink like we do. And so I was just like, like I swear my face turned five shades of red because I was like, oh, and then. Uh, my other aunt was like, she got a pad of paper and a pen and was like, oh, what's geez. it called? And I was like, it's not for everyone. It's, we swear a lot and talk about true crime. And my aunt, my other, my first aunt was like, I noticed that. And I was like, yeah. And my grandma was like, well, that's the crime right there. <laughs> I was like, oh. And my other aunt, the, the one that asked, like, had the notepad, she was like, well, what's it called? And I was like, called a crime country but like really you don't have to listen it's and, like you probably won't like it because she's it's like not, it's fine she's it's, like, it's not for it's not for you probably she, well and she's like super christian she'll hate it so i was just like please don't like it's it's called crime country but like really it's not for everyone like we uh, <laughs> and then it was awkward so uh, hey if you're uh, listening guys i love you <laughs> Uh, my aunt listened to the Michigan it. episode. That's the one she listened to. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it was so awkward. I was like, please don't try and listen. You're like, it's fine. You don't, like, you don't have to listen. Well, and anytime anybody like tells me they're going to listen to the podcast, I'm like, I'm like, you don't have to. Like, I feel weird about it. Like, I'm yeah. really like, oh, well, like, if it's fine if you don't like it. Like, it's, it's okay. Don't worry. Like, don't feel like you don't have to listen. Like, I feel weird promoting us even. So that's probably yeah. why we don't have any listeners. Because I'm like, it's okay if you don't like me. <laughs> no, I'm the same way. Like, whenever we go to Aaron's friends, like, Aaron always is like, oh, yeah, Aaron does this cool podcast. Even though he <laughs> doesn't even listen and he doesn't even like it. So I have to tell everybody. I don't like, well... Like, we're not that great, but we tell good stories. Like, so it's fine. <laughs> like, and like, and like, it's not oh. for everybody. It's okay if you don't want to listen. Like, that's what like, always I throw in there. I would yeah. like people, if you like us, please keep listening. We really appreciate that. We have fun doing this, but. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but if it's not for you, it's okay. We don't mind if you don't listen. We still like you. <laughs> I mean, maybe we don't like you, but just I kidding. I mean, I don't like most people, but like, I also like most. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a very like fine line. Like, people suck, and I don't like people, but I also like people. <laughs> okay, should we wrap up this podcast? Yeah, I guess so. Mm. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. We love you guys. Next week, we're in. We are in New, no, Delaware. New Delaware. Delaware. Old Delaware. <laughs> um, yeah, next week we're in Delaware. We will, Delaware, is Delaware the smallest state? Or is it Rhode no, Island? Rhode Island is. Uh, next week we're in Delaware. And then we'll be in Rhode Island a few weeks after that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We love you guys. We have links to our show notes in our sources. If anybody wants to do way more research into that first story I told about Geraldine Parrish, let me know because I will absolutely listen to or read whatever you find because I wanted more information and it was not available. Thanks for listening. Follow us on social media. Give us a like, rating, or review on 
iTunes or wherever. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.